0: This is a career channel program from UC San Diego Extension. Visit us at www.uctv.tv/careers for videos, employment news and trend articles to help recent college graduates and grads in career transition bridge to better employment. All right, hello. I'm Gary Despain and welcome to EPSI's 30th anniversary. Thank you for coming. It's really great to see this turnout. Okay, uh, our panel this evening, the title is Closing the Science and Technology Leadership Gap. So I'll pose some questions to the panel and they will uh, give us answers and then we'll move on. So, uh, Greg, what are the two biggest challenges senior technical managers face when transitioning to the executive suite?
1: What? What? No, I'm teasing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Gary and I have a long history of this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I've uh, been doing some thinking about this. Uh, the first one I think that's most important is, is really switching from self-centered thinking to organizational-centered thinking. And it's, it's really a transformational change that's required. The, uh, and, and really, what do I mean here? When your full focus shifts to being around... The customers, the world and the world problems you're going to serve, the organization that's going to support that, it's a, it's a major transformation versus building an empire and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's interesting to watch the, the higher level executives that some are building empires, some are really focused on the organization, and the uh, teams will follow some executives through any battle. Those are the ones who are thinking about the organization and, and having the organizational centered thinking. Uh, a lot of other leaders are you know, shot by their own troops along the way. <laughs> and you can pick out who they are. So what's funny I've I found over the years is that people are extremely good at reading this. The troops are everybody from all the way down to the lowest level. And that makes a a, a massive shift. So it's one of the senior technical, technical managers don't always get that transition and, as they get there. So it's an interesting one. Uh, I think that the other biggest challenge is is really thinking and learning with the bigger picture in mind. And, you know, you come into this role with education and a discipline and a whole long history of success, or you wouldn't get to be a senior technical manager, and you all of a sudden are presented with a whole lot of other issues. You have to deal with cultural issues. You have to deal with business issues that are in areas outside of your own experience. You've got to deal with tons and tons of ambiguity. No right answers. Matter of fact, no good answers to the questions you have to deal with. And uh, you got to be able to go strategic, you got to be able to go tactical, and all at once. So um, being able to keep that bigger picture in mind, it's funny, uh, if, you, if you go think about, you know, Rod Laver was, a, uh, was one of the best tennis players ever, and he could go out and, I mean, he won championship after championship after championship, and the funny part is, is that he had, you know, these muscles that were built up to be able to, to pound that tennis ball. We come into our jobs with these muscles, and we build them stronger in our jobs, and then we have to stop using them and try to develop other muscles. And it's an extremely extremely hard shift to make. So I'd say those are the biggest, those are the biggest challenges that I, that I see and experience myself and with the team. Thank you, Greg.
0: Paul, would you like to add something?
1: Yeah, I think it's perfect uh, background.
2: So I think the biggest change is you have to learn to think strategically from being tactical. Um, Typically, we promote engineers and scientists because they do a really good job technically. And they've got a focus and they've got a deep area of expertise. um, And they can execute tactics very well. But the change is you have to learn then to think outside that and to look at things strategically. I think we've all probably taken the Myers-Briggs test many times. Um, I'm a very traditional engineer in ISTJ. But after Lamp and EPSI, I actually changed. I'm an ISTP which if you look at it, says I'm starting to think strategically, which is really the critical part, which is just like Greg said, you no longer look at what you're trying to focus on, even for yourself, for your own immediate organization, but for the good of the whole. Where is this going and what are the implications? And the other thing is very similar to what you said, but looking at it a different way, too. You have to learn to delegate without micromanaging, because... Um, you have a tendency to be good at your job because you get down to the details, and you have to let people do their jobs without helping them too much with the details, giving them the freedom to do it, but also giving them the guidance to make sure they do it correctly. And so for me, it's really striking that right balance to strategically lead while making sure you focus on those key technical areas without wallowing in your technical expertise, um, but delegating to move the business forward.
0: Good. Thank you. Okay, for uh, Marty and Greg, what do you feel are the best practices in preparing senior technical managers for the transition? Well, I'll, I'll build off of what Greg
3: started saying. <clears throat> Engineers and scientists are, theory is very tough. We have to learn a lot of really tough theory in both engineering and the sciences. But once we learn the theory, the application at our jobs, designing, creating is relatively simple. We can create an algorithm where we put an input in, we have a transfer function, and we can expect a reasonable output within some range. Well, once we move out of uh, that into management, we move into a world of ambiguity. We can't write an algorithm for people's behavior. Uh, People that we expect to work for us and do things every day is different. They behave differently. And engineers and scientists don't understand that. And we try to write an algorithm for behavior, and it doesn't work. So for me, the idea of what we do in EPSI is we provide an environment where students get to see the ambiguity. We we give them case studies to work on that are fairly ambiguous, and they complain about it. But in the real world of management, you don't have things that are clear cut. There is, as Greg said, there is no right answer. There's an optimum solution for the current situation. And you may not like it, but it's the only thing we have to go with. So I think that's the big challenge um, of preparing people to move into their next uh, generation of, of jobs.
1: Greg? I think that's, that's excellent, Marty. He's really right on the mark. I, uh, I want to throw a couple more in there, too. Um, actually, the first one I want to throw is, EPSI is, is the greatest way to prepare them. And, and it's not April 1st right now. So... <laughs>
0: How much is that going to cost me? A lot. <laughs> the price of using Qualcomm just went up, I'm afraid.
1: Uh, it's funny. I, I uh, took some lessons away from Epsi. One of them was from Gary. Um, Uh-oh. It, yeah. It was to give really, high ch- really tough challenges and a lot of tough love coaching. And uh, uh, as, as one of my direct reports who has been through Epsi said to me, yeah, it's your philosophy of beat them and then give them candy. So, <laughs> I truly, I credit you with that, Gary. <laughs> Thank you. So, Thank you. Uh, I find that it's, it's um, that algorithmic part that you talked about, Marty, is so interesting because that's what engineers try to do. And it's the process of trying to break them out of that, back into the human realm is what will enable them to have the the ability to deal with all the soft, gushy stuff that engineers don 't want to touch that 's why we became engineers and scientists in the first place. so um, a lot of that is usually not a very comfortable process uh, much like you 've also subjected us to, but uh, we 'll get into that in a few minutes i 'm sure the uh, uh, I find that setting very high goals and really tapping into their lifelong expectations is important. It's not the high goals about accomplishing, say, a certain sales or, or schedule or any other target. It's about saying, you know, what do you want to leave behind in this life? And, you know, what do you really expect of yourself? That engages the real passion. Then load them up with all variety of burden. Uh, you know, lower level people get protect, protected and they get to do what they were trained to do. Executives get to do whatever needs to be done. So I've, I've recently completed two degrees in human resources. I'm working on my third, and I'm getting a finance degree now on the job, and I expect to pick up some legal and contracts soon. That's the kind of thing that you have to do. You never asked for it, you never wanted it, and you never knew how to do it, but you kind of figure those things out as you go. So it's sharing that set of risks and challenges and problems and stuff with the folks that are the senior technical managers making that transition. And they often come to you and they go, are you kidding? I have to do this. I have no idea. Yeah. Welcome to my world. And, and that is the, that's what was done to me. And that's what I do to others. It's, it's, it's the way to really give the the real life experience and the safety net so they can really learn and go. So.
0: Good. Thank you. Okay. Paul and Greg. Uh, Please describe your ideal senior technical manager to become an executive. What do you look for when you're thinking about maybe sending people
2: to EPSI to prepare them to move on? So I would look, my ideal candidate would be a tightrope walker on the high wire over a shark-filled tank. (laughs) So you got to know where you're going. you got to be able to get there without looking down. You need to understand what a misstep will mean. But at the same time, you've got to be able to work a crowd. You've got to be able to read people and your situation. So that ideal person would be a technical executive who has a great sense of balance and exhibits emotional intelligence. So as an example of balance, one of the things I really like about our director of our chief engineer's office is he's one of the few engineers who jokes that believes that cost is an engineering metric. And he says it just like that, where everyone else says, no, you want the best product. Everybody should recognize best is a subjective item. Just like you said, best in the circumstance of the day. Um, I had a friend who his first job was fixing refrigerators for Sears. He'd come into the home and they'd say, the refrigerator's bad. And he'd say, oh, did it not come home last night, forget to call? What does bad mean? Same thing with best. What is best? And that's what I think the executive has to balance. At that point in time, knowing what you know, guaranteeing that it's going to be wrong, what is the right combination of things that gives you that ideal product? Using your best technical understanding so that you meet the market and the product needs and support your product strategy.
1: Paul, can I borrow that quote? Cost is is an engineering metric. I'd like to use that. It's,
2: Alan Bates. It is a good one. I'm,
1: I'm going to credit him. That's, that's really worth it. Um, Atypical, isn't it? <laughs> very, and it's important. Uh, I'm going to give you a much less eloquent answer. Um, I'm looking for somebody who's passionate and energetic because uh, they need a lot of energy, <laughs> um, especially with willingness to suffer the pain of very fast growth. Uh, that's another Garyism ism that... Uh, I think we had to learn it's that having that right kind of drive of, of making the right kind of changes. The open-mindedness, uh, is important and, and being unencumbered, you know, not really tied down by a whole lot of, uh, self or a whole lot of, uh, other issues. Um, and then come the real big ones for me, willing to take risks and willing to try on personas and try things they've never done. Uh, Willing to be wrong and apologize and go fix their mistakes. Uh, I expect people to make a lot of mistakes, but you don't want them to make mistakes where they end up off the tightrope. So they've got to try it out. And they're, you know, the ones who expect they're going to be perfect are just going to get, well, they're going to get over that. And it'll be a painful process. The one that I think is most important is I'm looking for the person who's got this magical art of changing what should be changed in themselves but also not changing what shouldn't and that means having a whole lot of spine but a whole lot of but really good ears and you know hearing and adjusting but in a way that they don't erode and get rid of the the really critical stuff yeah, it means a healthy dose of cynicism and a few other things too but that's the uh, that's the ideal Senior technical manager, in my opinion, it's, it's, it's not a very common set of characteristics. And, and then you, we do an assessment and try to figure out, okay, can we get some of these characteristics built? So,
0: Okay, Greg, since you gave me so much credit, I'm going to change this question.
1: I'm going to answer the one I wanted to anyway, so it really doesn't matter.
0: So it was going to be, what do you consider your best takeaway from EPSI? But since he's given me all this credit, I'd like to know... Why did you wait till now to tell me? <laughs> Never mind. Go back I take
1: back you. everything I said. Okay.
0: <laughs> go back to the other one, please. What, what do you consider your best takeaway
1: from EPSI? Uh, for me, it was really getting perspectives. I thought I knew what I, I thought I knew it all, or I thought I knew a lot of it. And um, EPSI really knocked me off my perch. And I remember that starting early on, and I remember it having the face of Gary Despain. Uh, and it really was what started very fast growth for me. I had grown fast in the company and all that stuff, but it wasn't this kind of fast growth, and uh, FC really opened my eyes. It started with an awareness of the other disciplines. I think giving the perspectives to engineering scientists of all the other stuff that goes on in a business. I've had engineers, FC grads, say, oh, I can do any job in this division better than they can uh, and, and quicker. Um, now, granted, that person hadn't any of the training or the experience, but I'm sure they could have done that. Um, there's the normal arrogant engineering scientific mind. By the way, you you uh, that was after he went through EPSI, so he's he's gotten better now. <laughs> uh, it's interesting, you know, when you find, when you find out about supply chain or about marketing or about something else, and you learn just enough to be really really scared. It's a very very effective kind of uh, training. And it teaches you that you have to think strategically and tactically and at the same time, and you have to be able to take on all kinds of different viewpoints. That is a very, very significant shift in, in thinking and in your, in your maturation. Um, that certainly is what I took away. I felt that the very worst of it was the ongoing growth and, and you know honest reassessment. That's the hardest part. Learning how to truly lead myself was very hard. And I'm not sure I'm really that very good at it yet. The, it it culminated with in the in the EPSI program with the hated exercise that Gary made us do. I forget who the facilitator was, and it was of the self the self-improvement, writing a goal, having to share it, having to make it measurable, and it trained me and improved me. And every time I end up with something that's Really tough, and I start to get scared. I have to go back to that, and I go back, and it's just as miserable as it was the very first time. And it works every time, and And I curse Gary, and, and all is better after that. So, um, as one of my FC grads and a direct report said to me today, he said, You know, when you get through FC, you'll have the strong urge to get out. Now, I wasn't sure if he meant FC or if he went, actually meant the company, but I think he meant the company. <laughs> So it's funny that those perspectives, you know, I bet there's a pretty high rate of people that go through EPSI and then decide to leave their jobs. I certainly left the job I was in when I was in EPSI because it was not the right job for me, and I had never had that perspective before. So these are the kinds of takeaways that you really need to develop, and it's, it's difficult. It's very difficult to do as a, as a scientist or an engineer, and you need to, you know, to grow that way. And when you do, you all of a sudden have the ability to take on that, on that higher level, that exec level kind of point of view.
0: Just to clarify one thing, he said, we are are not spending your company's money to prepare your people to leave your company. We are preparing them to leave that safe role that they're in now and get outside themselves and help the company in ways they never imagined before.
1: I'll count my answer as a success.
0: (laughs) Yes. Good. Okay, Paul. Paul. Your company, as I said earlier, has sent people to EPSI for 30 years. Looks like you're going to do it for the 31st year. Uh, What keeps you coming back and back and sending people to EPSI, and not only EPSI but our other program, LAMP?
2: So I think the smartest thing I ever did following your lead was when I quit my job at Roar. Um, I was the single most experienced expert in the double cantilever beam testing in composite materials. And it's almost as impressive as it sounds, but not quite. Sounds cool. No, it is nothing. And I went to work from a company of thousands of people, seven, 8,000 in the 80s, to where I was the fourth engineer in a group of 100, where I went from working with the marketing guy to quoting the job, to getting the job, to writing the manufacturing planning, to help build the part, to getting the inspector drunk at the end so he'd buy it off from the other company, and we could sell it. I learned more in a year and a half than I would have in 50 years at Roar. That kind of exposure you don't usually get when you work at the same place, especially a larger company. And that's where I see the benefits of LAMP and EPSI, is you get that business exposure without doing every single job. You have an understanding of resources. You have an understanding of employee law. You understand finance. Everybody's job is simpler than yours because you know how hard yours is. All the details there is, pfft, anybody can do it. It's just a calculator. Um, It's just a double cantilever beam. beam. (laughs) that you popped. How hard can that be, right? And that's, I think, the real benefit of what you get from EPSI is that broad but very detailed understanding of all aspects of the business. And because it's such a diverse community, um, when we did our project, we did an automated dog feeder. And we were talking about the marketing aspect, and the group ahead of us said, oh, we marked it up 15%. And the guy just looked at him and said, "Oh, you must be doing military work, because it should be 300 percent if it's out there in the commercial side." It never occurred to those guys that, "Oh, this isn't cost plus," um, and you know, it's that kind of perspective. Like, "Oh, there is another side to it." Um, and then the other aspect is, um, you get some leadership skills that we didn't get at Roar back then. We had a nice leadership style of you beat them, and you know, you just. Berated them if you were nice, and if you weren't so nice, my boss hit a couple guys, but it was no big deal. Um, they deserved it. He, uh, they were working overtime on Saturday, and they didn't want to work Sunday, so they discussed it in the parking lot, and my boss won. Wow. So, but he, anyway. So the app the. The issue we have is with our own leadership structure now, I get 15 minutes every six weeks to give my vice presidents and my presidents a status of what our organization is doing. And so by definition, we're managing by exception. We use that as an opportunity um, to train our other managers. So everybody gets the time in the barrel. I mean time in the presentation. Um, and one of our, your recent, your current EPSI employees is one of my newest managers. So he said he had just finished the high rope exercise the day before he got the opportunity to be in the barrel presenting to the vice presidents. And as you can imagine, if there's something that's not quite right, um, the questions come fast and furious. And he used his fear control techniques that he, because he has a fear of heights, he used the same techniques and he did very well in his presentation to the seniors in his 15 minutes and he hit his tack time. He hit his cycle time within a minute. Um, So... He put his immediate training to use um, that he got here.
0: You never knew. Such good things could come from playing in the dirt, as we call it. <laughs> <and our time. laughs> okay, finally, uh, one last question for our panel. This one will be to Marty. Now, in case you didn't notice it up there, he is uh, has not always been an educator. He has had uh, many positions in industry, so that's what we like about him, that he brings all of that experience in industry to his teaching in EPSI and LAMP. So, Marty, how do you, as a prior executive, use that experience in your teaching?
3: What do you mean, prior?
0: (laughs) He's still working, actually.
3: Um, I've had the good fortune to hold every job in an engineering company, from lab tech through VP of R&D and VP of engineering, in fairly uh, large uh, high-tech companies. But um, that made me a pretty good VP of R&D. But what made me a good executive was I had a very mean boss. And one day when I was happily designing circuits, which is what I love to do, he decided to send me to Washington, D.C. to become a marketing guy for a year and a half and sell our magical engineering solutions to the military. And so suddenly I went from being a happy engineer to being a miserable marketing person. And I spent a year and a half doing that, but I now understood what it took to sell our engineering concepts. When I came back, I did a lot more engineering. And then one day my boss got mad at me and he said, you're going to go run, I just fired the manufacturing VP, you're going to go run manufacturing. And so... I picked myself up and moved over to the manufacturing building. And one of the things I discovered that I think should help every exec- executive is I discovered the impact of all of the things engineers do to the manufacturing department. Endless engineering change notices, just one after another. And, and I watched material get scrapped and circuit boards that have been built rewired and thrown away, because after you've something 15 times, you junk it. And so uh, a lot of my experience was I had a chance to actually see how my engineering function affected the rest of the organization, how it affected the financial, uh, how it affected manufacturing and QA and purchasing. So what I've done from that is I could take the experience as an engineering leader And what do other engineering leaders need to know to be able to operate effectively at an organization? Which kind of builds on what Paul and Greg said. It's a holistic. An organization is a system. And as engineers, we should think of everything as a system with connection. Everything we do has some kind of impact. And as engineers, we never think about the law of unintended consequences. When we decide to make a change, what's the ripple effect through the supply chain? and through repairs, and through maintenance, and all these other things. So again, coming with that background and experience, when I teach at EPSI, I do a couple of things to try to make it more meaningful. One is we go out and ask questions in advance. In fact, I just prepared them for LAMP. Uh, what What are the points of pain that you're having in product development? What are the key issues in your company that makes you different than somebody else? And then we try to tailor our curriculum. And when I speak for myself, I'm speaking for the other instructors who are similar to me. We've all worked in the industry of the people we're teaching, in biotech, high technology, aerospace, telecommunications, uh, pharmaceutical. And so we're bringing that experience into EPSI. We create our case studies based upon our real-life examples, and we try to make them pertinent and germane to the actual topics that you're covering. Um, Again, the theory of management is very, very simple. Um, but the application of it is very difficult. And so what we try to do is create examples in class that the cohort groups could work on to give them a chance to practice and learn the things, learn what the financial aspects are, what, what the marketing aspects, how to sell the concepts to a panel of experts who really wanted, are going to pick you apart and ask you the, the questions you least want to hear. And so I think in general, uh, all of our instructors in these programs, both LAMP and EPSI, come with this idea is that we've made every mistake in the book that you could possibly make at least once, if not twice, and many of us remember those mistakes, and we want to help you not repeat them. A very smart person learns from their own mistakes, but a wise person learns from the mistakes of others. So part of what we try to teach you is not to make the same mistakes that others have made. It's really cool to make brand new, cool mistakes. But it's dumb to make mistakes that other people have made that you should avoid. So I guess that's pretty much it. Okay.
0: Thank you all very much. Appreciate you coming tonight.